brothers and sisters, we're going to dig into the word uh, in the book of Revelation chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, I hope you'll turn with me there uh, as we work to stand in awe of who God is uh, through his word. If you don't have your Bibles with you, you can follow along with the words on the screen as we together hear the word of the Lord. Revelation chapter 4. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God. To receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing so we give thanks to Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious and loving God we do come before you in praise and thanksgiving struck by your word and the power contained therein. Lord, move in us and amongst us now by the power of your spirit that we would have our eyes opened so that we could see you. Open our ears that we could hear you. Open our minds that we would come to know and understand your word and your will. Open our hearts that we would feel its power. Then I ask that you would open our hands that we would offer grace to the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So now as we are in this season of Lent, we are entering into a new series, uh, Revive Reverence. Now the word reverence comes with some baggage for, for many of us. Reverence uh, for some has some connotations of, of being uh, constrained or, or, or still, uh, being limited in action or movement. Maybe reverence is quiet and calm. And, and some of those things are uh, respectfully bound up into the meaning of the word and what biblical reverence looks like. But reverence is so much more than that. And this Lent, we want to be ushered in as the people of God into a renewed understanding of what biblical reverence is. 
And today we're going to wrestle what it means to stand in awe, to be all struck. And that being what orients our reverence, maybe even a, a reason for us to be reverent. And that moment of all to epitomize reverence. You have had moments of all over the course of your life. I want you to think with me about what those moments were. Those moments that caused you to to have to catch your breath. uh, Where you had no choice in the matter. Just all of a sudden you were caught speechless, breathless in awe. Maybe that was at the birth of your child. Maybe it was as you held hands with someone who's passed from this life into the next. For me, oftentimes those things come either from magnificent spaces that have been created, particularly in honor to God by man, and also it comes to me in nature oftentimes. The first I'll never forget uh, whenever I was in the Durham Cathedral in England. In the Durham Cathedral, there's this rose window and and this magnificent thousand-year-old cathedral, nearly thousand-year-old cathedral. And, And as I entered in and I gazed up upon the window, I was just caught with how majestic it was, thinking to myself of the the hundreds of thousands of people that bore witness to this structure and were struck in a space of reverence, understanding that the Lord Jesus has been, has been proclaimed from generation to generation in this space. I was singing with a choir in that cathedral, and we sang a song, Tenebrae Facte Sunt, and it is a Latin song that speaks of the last words of Christ. And the, the full choir sings the opening stanzas, but then you arrive at a moment, a, a series of words where the men drop out and the women sing and their voices soar over the top. And so there I was in the cathedral in awe as I heard the women sing, and Jesus Christ cried out in a loud voice. And I thought about the voice of our Lord echoing through that space for generations. And I was caught, struck in awe. What are those spaces of awe, those moments, those places of awe for you? I remember a moment I had with nature. I was in Cape Town, South Africa, and uh, when you arrive in Cape Town, I was surprised. I didn't have an understanding of the geography of South Africa, but uh, there is this this massive, booming city, Cape Town, and then rising up above it is Table Mountain. And uh, so the the look from the coast, you have the sprawling city and then Table Mountain. Now, Now, it's a beautiful picturesque view this way but that wasn't the view that caught me it was actually when we climbed up upon table mountain and we went out to lion's head now being adventurous we started climbing out and we were bouldering and we found a spot up near the point of that plateau that's not me by the way i don't have a ponytail and didn't ever have a ponytail but um that's very much the image i remember where we sat with our feet dangling Hundreds of feet below, and we looked out, and here's the 
the word that was spoken in my ear that took my breath away. I looked out and knew that this city below and then the coast, but beyond it was literally the ends of the earth. Knowing that there was nothing else until you arrived in Antarctica. And I thought to myself, this is what the ends of the earth means. Where are those places for you? What were those moments for you? Maybe there is a song or a poem. Maybe there is a person or a depth of intimacy that had been experienced that you could point to and say that is what awe looks like. I believe with my whole heart that Revelation chapter 4 is designed by God for you and for me to experience awe. And we fail to do it all too often. When we read Revelation, if we read Revelation, we are caught in our intellectual selves. We start trying to figure it out because we're smart and we can. And we want to know what the numbers mean. And we want to know what the images mean and what the, what the, uh, what, what the metaphors mean and what's personified in what way. And we start trying to map it all out so that we could be enlightened about what Revelation means. And it's well-meaning. It's not bad for us to want to study the text such that we would know what it means. But if we only know it and never feel it, we are wildly mistaken. And furthermore, many of us never even approach Revelation chapter 4 because we don't approach Revelation at all. We're scared of it. We're intimidated by it. First of all, it talks about apocalyptic times, and we kind of like life as it is, and so we've seen enough of the apocalypse in 2020 and 2021. We don't need any more of it, so we don't even look at Revelation. Or we, we hear about all of these images and all of these, all of these, uh, all of these uh, tribulations, and we, we just shy away from it because we're so, uh, so perplexed by it and don't believe we could actually attain knowledge about Revelation chapter 4. So we fail to learn it, and worse off, we never experience the awe that God intended for us to feel. So I've been really wrestling with how do I work with this text such that we could arrive at that place of awe. And, and I decided I can't fully ignore all of the numbers and the metaphors and all of these things. Because if I do, then when you read it, all you do is ask questions. Can't turn it off. You're just too smart. So we're going to go through the text. I'm going to hit some of the high points along the way. It's not going to be in, uh, in its entirety. It's not going to be fully explained. So... If you want that, we'll have to have a Bible study on that sometime, and it will, you know, it will not be just a sermon sort of moment, okay? So I want you to first begin with the opening of this text. Verse 1, it points to the fact that John sees an open door to heaven. 
I hope you got that because this is something that, that we all seemingly want. We want to know what heaven is like. We want to know what it looks like. We want to know what it feels like. We wish that we could have a better understanding of heaven because we live so much in the here and now. We fail to, to have that glimpse into heaven. John gets that glimpse and gives it to us. This is, in verse 1, a door standing open in heaven. And the, the voice of the Lord invites him to come here and says, this is what's going to take place. This is what heaven heaven looks like so now the the pump is primed we're we're ready to understand what heaven looks like and it begins with an image of a throne there there is a single throne that is highlighted as the focal point of all that takes place Everything else is related to the throne. It's either near the throne or around the throne or, or, or emanating from the throne. So this throne is where the action is, what we are supposed to be pointing our focus on. And there's one seated on this throne, and, and it doesn't ever say who it is, but we know from the worship of others that comes later and from the description who this one is. This is Almighty God, the eternal. It says that this one that is on the throne has coming forth from it an image that is like jade and ruby. Did I get that right, jade? Jasmine and ruby. I knew I messed that up. Both of these are most commonly red. Now, ruby is more of a clear vision of red that we could say like a red diamond sort of a look. Jasmine is more muted but it's less about the color. I want the color to be an image for you. But it's less about the color and more about what it means. These are two stones, two specific stones. In Exodus chapter 28, these two stones are, are the first and the last stones that are placed on the breastplate of the high priest of Israel. Y'all follow me? The high priest of Israel has 12 stones on their breastplate, and they're lined out in threes. And the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the eternal, the one who was and is and is to come, the priest who forever eternal sits on the throne, that is the jasmine and the ruby. Then... From the throne, it says, it says, coming forth, encircling the throne, there is an emerald rainbow. This emerald is, is green, uh, representing life, that life would come forth from the throne. But, but it's a rainbow. A rainbow is a sign of the promise. Remember Noah and the promise that God would no longer flood the earth, that he would not end all life. But now we have a promise of eternal life that is bursting forth from the throne. And then around this, this high priest that is eternal, that offers a guaranteed promise of eternal life, now has 24 thrones. These 24 thrones represent the 12 disciples and the 12 tribes of Israel. And there is a representative person seated on each of the thrones, dressed in white, made perfect through a sacrifice and wearing a throne. And we think, wow, these 24 folks, they must be really important. This is really cool. They're wearing white, a sign of perfection. They're wearing crowns, a sign of authority or power. We're going to get to how that is submitted later on. But it's glorious that we have this first image 
conceiving that this is representative of how the old and new covenant are all bound up with God the Father in heaven. And then there were seven lamps. Seven lamps. These seven lamps there were seven churches that this letter, Revelation, was written to, and each one had a lamp, the, 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 the Spirit of God resting upon the church. Seven is a, is a number of perfection, so the perfect, the made perfect church of Jesus Christ and the Spirit, the seven spirits, not that there are seven spirits, but the Spirit of God, the complete and perfect Holy Spirit of God brings forth the people of God to the throne room of heaven, that, that we are ushered into that space by the power of the Spirit. We don't get there by our own works, but we arrive there by the sacrifice of the one who provided the Spirit to usher us in. The seven spirits, the seven lamps, the complete unity of the Holy Spirit, and the members of the church joined together. And then, and then there were four animals for creatures and these creatures have 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 eyes all over have have wings and so often we we hear of these creatures and we're perplexed by them and and this is the moment where we all like okay i don't know what to do with this well there are eyes all over because this is to be the one that sees all and knows all that that god is is not without uh that god cannot be deceived there's nowhere that we could run from god but god is always there present with us that god knows all and his sacrifice and his love supersedes any sin or brokenness that we can create because he knows you and knows your heart that your heart is devoted to him as your lord these four creatures have eyes all over, and, and they represent the characteristics of, of the Son, the Son, Jesus Christ. You have the, the face of a lion, uh, the one that is the king, the king of all animals. You have the one that, uh, that has the, the body of an ox. An ox would be the sacrifice, a common sacrifice of the people of God. You have the face of a man showing that Jesus Christ was incarnate, God made flesh, and the only perfect man so that he could be that for you and me. And then finally, we have the image of an eagle, this creature like an eagle that, that provides for us a vision of sovereignty and supremacy. And this is right there where the throne is and this emerald rainbow. And there in the center, there are the four creatures. This image of the holistic four-part, four persons, just like the north and south and east and west. Just like Jesus, the one who can remove your sin from you that far. That is what is represented there. And so we pause and begin to have a better grasp of what it means to get, be given this image of heaven. Heaven where the full triune God is represented and present. Where the people of God, old and new covenant, are brought in, ushered in by the sacrifice of the Son and the work of the Spirit. And then, then there, there's a word if you still have your Bibles, I want you to underline it. Uh, it's, a, it's in verse 8. It, it, something breaks out in this vision, and, and it, it 
it lines out for us how heaven will continue perpetually because it's the word never. It never stops. It says, each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under the wings. Then day and night, day and night, they never stopped saying, never stopped. They never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And it never stops, but it never grows old and it never grows boring because every time you hear it fresh again, you're confronted with the fact that this is truth. And since it's truth, it's always worth Worthy to be spoken, and it's always powerful to hear. And you could get caught up on the word holy, and you could be bound up into what it means for, for God to be entirely good and entirely righteous, and for us to worship Him because He is. So you could get caught up in the word almighty to know that God is stronger and more powerful than anything you've ever faced or anything you will ever face, and you could just be struck by His might. You could get caught up in the fact that he was, that he came from the beginning, was at the beginning, and is eternal through the past. And it points all the way through to an eternal future and is to come. It never grows old hearing truth proclaimed. And it's declared over and over again in heaven. And then... Second word I want you to, to underline in the opening of verse 9. It says, whenever. Now, if we just start in verse 9 and we just hear whenever, we don't know when that is. But now that we've established that this is the eternal chorus, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, that that is perpetual. It never stops. Now we know that the word whenever also means this also never stops. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and power... And thanks to him who sits on the throne. Then, here's what happens. The 24 elders who sit on the thrones, the representatives of the old and the new covenant, they all, you think there's something, they acknowledge that they are only anything because of the one who sits on the throne. And they bow. They bow before the throne. And they take their crowns off. And they lay them before the feet of the one who sits on the throne. And they now have a chorus to sing as well. They say, you are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And this is restated over and over again. Because it is true. Because truth is always worth proclaiming. So often we fail to, to get there. Maybe we're on the brink of there. And then our mind asks us another question and we grow inquisitive in another way. And we uh, have a space of wonder that, that suspends our ability to arrive in that emotional, heartfelt, soul-depth sort of a place where God intends Revelation 4 to take us. And so I, I want us to, to do that. I want us to go there. I want us to, to turn off our minds. Is that possible? 
Is it possible for you to allow your, your intellectual curiosity to subside for just a few moments and stand in awe? I'm going to read this passage of Scripture again. I'm going to read Revelation 4 again, and I'm going to invite you into that difficult space of turning off so that you might feel what God has for us. Close your eyes, wherever you are. Hear, feel, stand in awe. After this, John says, I looked and there before me was a door, the door of heaven opened before me. And the voice I I first heard speaking to me like a trumpet now said, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne, the throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, there were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and in back, and the first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under the wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You, you are worthy our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created, and by your will they have their being. Glory to God. Lord, we stand 
in all of who you are. We are struck by how majestic you are and how worthy you are of our praise. So we ask, O oh God, that we would carry this wonder with us wherever we go, knowing that we have encountered heaven on earth because of your word made manifest in our midst. We celebrate this taste of heaven and pray that it would come here upon the earth in Jesus' name. Amen.